0: Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. For the past two weeks, we've been looking at a liar in our life called the devil. We're talking about living no lies, not living under lies. The devil lies. Jesus called him the father of lies. And so we're gonna move on though from there because there's another liar in your life and a liar in my life. That liar is subtle. That liar is crafty. And that liar sometimes goes completely unacknowledged. And that liar is called the flesh. Your flesh lies to you. My flesh lies to me often. Often, your flesh is what tells you when you're emotionally upset that you need a Dorito. I don't know if you've noticed, but when you're emotionally upset, your flesh does not tell you to get a stick of celery. (laughs) Why don't you go peel yourself an orange? Cut yourself up an apple. No, no, you need a Dorito. Yeah, you're sad, Dorito will fix that up for you. Your flesh tells you that your life would be better if you had what you can't afford. That happiness isn't your house, it's that other house. That happiness isn't your car, it's that other car. Happiness it isn't where you're at, it's that journey that you should be able to take. Listen, your flesh tells you that you have a right to be angry and to raise your voice. After all, it's their fault. They started it. Your flesh tells you to feel sorry for yourself and to have this world's smallest party. is called a pity party because you're the only one that shows up. <laughs> Your flesh tells you to have that drink that you know you need to say no to. And then it tells you something like, it's just one, you can handle it. And then it tells you to have another and another. Your flesh tells you to pursue vain dreams and empty so that you don't give your time, energy, and money to high priorities. Instead, you give it to low priorities. Your flesh tells you to measure yourself in comparison to others, resulting in either pride or depression. And your flesh will tell you that you would be happier if, and the list from there goes on and on, Man, you'd be happier if you'd have married this person. You'd be happier if you'd have married that person. You'd be happier if you were in this job or that job. It just gives you this endless list of things to think about changing in your life. The Greek word for flesh in the New Testament is SARS. It's S-A-R-X. And it has several meanings to it that are reflected by the context of the sentence that it is in. It's kind of like the word squash. We use the word squash to refer to a vegetable that desperately needs brown sugar and butter to eat. We also use the word squash to refer to a sport. We use it to refer to what you do to a bad idea at work. Well, we squash that idea. Or what happens when you step on a bug? I squashed him. Okay. The Greek word for flesh is kind of like that in the sense that it has all these different meanings. It can mean human body. It can mean humanity. It can mean ethnicity, race, and culture. The context is what determines the meaning. And in the New Testament, that context is often about our sinful and unwise choices. Ephesians chapter two and verse three says this, among them too, we all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, including the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. It talks about sinful passions. These are another another way to define the flesh. 2 Peter 2.10 refers to the flesh as a corrupt passion. It's also called the cravings of the flesh, the animalistic cravings, the sinful appetite. Eugene Peterson from the Message Bible refers to the flesh this way, the corruption that sin introduced to our appetites and our instincts. Now, why is it so important, first of all, to acknowledge the existence of this thing that the Bible refers to as the flesh? Why bother talking about that at all? And I'll tell you why. It's because the society around us doesn't, doesn't even acknowledge it, doesn't really go there. The reason that people don't understand the flesh is because of not having a biblical worldview that acknowledges that mankind is fallen. That is, you know, that at one time we were created in the image of God, but ever since Adam and Eve sinned, that image thereon afterwards has been corrupted. And so man is sinful. Though created in the image of God, we are now a broken, corrupted, and and that includes our desires as well. The thing about having a biblical worldview is that it means that you acknowledge the existence of a creator God to whom you are responsible to, which is part of the reason why it gets resisted a lot of times. Because when you acknowledge that there's a creator God, you now have moral absolutes. You now have right and wrong. You now have an authority in your life. You also have a reference point from which to determine morality and wisdom. And without that, Morality and wisdom is just a matter of everybody else's opinion versus mine. Now, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 begins to describe what does this flesh thing kind of look like. Ephesians 5 verse 19 says this, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. In other words, they're obvious. I'm not going to read something to you where you go, oh, I I didn't know that. You know, it's it's like these things, we we see them all the time, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, before we get into this, I wanna say this. Here's what we are not doing here today. We are not putting on our self-righteous robes of righteousness, being in church and going, yeah, we talking about the flesh because that world out there is fleshy. <laughs> um, it is messed up. Yeah, I know I know who he's talking about. I got a guy at work that's like that. I got a guy in my neighborhood that's like that. That guy over at Tim Hortons, that guy at the ESO. I'm telling you, we got a fleshy world. I see fleshy on the television. I'm going to go home and burn my television after this because it's a vision. We got to deal with the flesh. No, 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 no. That is not what we are here to do. Here's what we're here to do. We're here to say, Holy Spirit, yes. am I... Getting into the flesh. Is the flesh operating where holiness should be operating in my own life? But as I read that list, doesn't it sound familiar? Sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior. Let me define that to you biblically. Everything sexual that happens outside of the context of the marriage of one man and one woman. Hostilities, strife, jealousy, jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Well, you can see that all over social media, but it also happens in marriages and places of work. Selfish ambition, dissension, factions. We see that in our political and business environment both. Envy. Well, that's happening all over Instagram. They don't say it, but let's face it. Um, And the advertising industry. Drunkenness and carousing. Typical university campus life. That's what that is right there. Listen, here's the point. You don't have to look far and you don't have to look hard to find manifestations of the flesh, both in society and in our personal lives. Yeah, this is what we applaud in society as freedom. It's freedom. Hey, do whatever you want. You know, if it's right to you, just do it. You know, say whatever you want, have whatever you want. Today's definition of freedom is the ability to do whatever you want full stop. No boundaries, no guidelines, no rules, no guardrails. Often that freedom includes this list from Galatians chapter five. Do what you feel. Hey, if you're angry, say what you need to say. Speak your mind, follow your passions, follow your urges, your desires, your crazy thoughts. I should be free to do whatever I want if I'm really free. If it's appealing to me, must be okay. You do you. You know, we use phrases like this. Or that Scandinavian song lyric that goes like this, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Where's that from? A punk rock band? No, that's Elsa from Frozen. (laughs) Bazinga. was Aleister Crowley who was an occultist, started the uh, 1900s, who had a founding principle to his life that went like this, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So this isn't new, this is old. The freedom mantra of our culture to do whatever you want manifests itself in popular phrases. Society, carries notions about desires and appetites that if you will follow them are the worst advice you could ever get. They are founded on this idea that freedom is the ability to just do whatever you want. And some of these phrases, unfortunately, frankly, I've heard Christians say them. I've heard them come out of their mouths. I've heard, them, I've heard them say them as though they read them right in the Bible. You know, like, well, you know, just like the Bible says in the book of Hesitations, follow your heart. You know what I'm saying? It's like, dear Lord. Somebody's gonna go home and be looking, where's that book of Hesitations? it gotta be in here somewhere. It's right by the book of Revolutions. You'll find it there, Okay. But we say phrases like this and they're kind of catchy and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, this, this must be, but really it's all rooted in this, do whatever you want. Follow your heart. It used to be, if it feels good, do it. Now it's more like, if it feels right, do it. How about this one? Love is love. Love is love. Listen, God is love. So love is love. Well, God is love and God is holy. So guess what? Love needs to be holy. Otherwise, it's perversion. As long as, here's another one. As long as it's not hurting anyone, that is the lie that comes into the mind of every closet addict with their secret sin. How about this one? Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Worst advice ever. What if yourself is motivated by a past hurt? What if yourself has a heart that has somebody you've never forgiven? What if yourself is needy, still looking for acceptance and will do anything to get it? Then you better not be true to yourself because yourself is messing yourself up. I just want to be authentic. Drug people are authentic. (laughs) Let me tell you what I really feel (laughs) you're an idiot. Okay, here's one more. (laughs) He told me that. The heart wants what the heart wants. So poetic. It's like, oh man, where'd you find that scripture? Who said this? Jesus, the Apostle Paul, Shakespeare, Buddha. I'm gonna disappoint you, it was Woody Allen. Woody Allen dated Mia for years and was sort of a stepfather to her daughter, Soon-Yi. However, at the age of 56, Soon-Yi, who was then 21 years old, became the girl that he was sleeping with and displayed a nude photo of in his home. When asked about the relationship, his response was, the heart wants what the heart wants. Titus chapter three and verse three. For we too were once foolish disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. Listen, the flesh will make you a slave. It is habit-forming not only that, but it, it is, it's not only habit-forming, but it's never happy. Like, it's never fulfilled. It, it, it's, it's always demanding more. It's a terrible master. Uh, you know, greed never says, as good, I had enough, I don't need any more. Doesn't do that. When you're angry, that anger, that rage inside of you never says, would you please lower your voice? Doesn't go there. Lust doesn't stop looking and wanting to see more. Lust doesn't tell you time to get off that porn site. Instead, it says you better look for more because the old ones aren't doing what they used to do for you. Jealousy will find something else to envy. You say, oh man, I really wanted this. I, I really need this. And you get jealous, you get envious and you get it. I promise you, jealousy will find something else to envy on somebody else's life. Gossip doesn't tell you to shut up or stop listening to somebody else who's criticizing what our society calls freedom, Jesus calls slavery. Biblical freedom, though, is this. Freedom is the capacity to master the flesh and not follow its desires. Freedom is the capacity to master the flesh and not follow its desires. I'm sure most of us here have watched the Olympics, Summer Olympics at some point, and You know, you watch the, the, the diving that happens And, you know, you'll see that diver climb up to that high board and get off and and do their thing. But could you imagine watching the Olympics and that diver gets up on that board and, you know, and then they launch themselves off and they start flailing around and spinning in all sorts of different directions and then finally belly flop on the water. I mean, when they come out of that water, the coach is going to come up and be like, what the heck was that? You know, and, and... That person might respond to the coach and say, Well, coach, I just wanted to be free. (laughs) But what do we celebrate? We celebrate that diver who comes off of that high diving board and with incredible accuracy and precision and grace does complicated moves so smoothly and then finishes hands first into that water, barely creating a a ripple. And it's just absolutely amazing to watch. Why? Because we celebrate them because they are free from errors, free from mistakes, free from flaws. They're free to be excellent, free to be precise, to be coordinated, to be smooth, to seem effortless and to accomplish a difficult task. We celebrate them because of what they're free from and free to be. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 says, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And then it says this, against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the biblical definition of freedom. It's, It's free to make right choices in life. It's free to follow God and to follow his purpose for your life, to be a Jesus follower. It's free to say no to what would mess up your world. It's free to have self-control. It's free to embrace godly character and make godly decisions. You are not a slave. In Jesus, you are free. That's why John 8, 36 says, if the son makes you free, then you are free indeed. I love the phrase, against such things there is no law against such things. In other words, you can never mess up or go too far when you're allowing the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be working in your life. Nobody's gonna say, okay, that's enough of that kindness. You're just too kind, stop it. Give us a little misery, please. Turn down that kindness. No, no, no. Nobody's gonna complain about your patience or your gentleness or your faithfulness, your love, your joy, and oh, you're too happy. You just gotta stop being so happy. Get rid of that joy, would you? No, there is no law against these things. Because of all these attributes, they're always celebrated because why? Because they enrich your life. And listen, then the lives of everybody else around you. You know, as much as the world around us would like to say that freedom is doing whatever you want, it's actually not celebrated. It's not celebrated. If you've been to a funeral and you listen to the eulogy, let me tell you what they won't say at the eulogy. And that they won't sell, they won't, they won't get up there and say, oh yeah, Bob here, he was drunk most Friday nights and he had quite a, an old porn collection in his basement. And of course he cheated on his wife and lost that marriage. And he ripped off his business partner as well and had a real out of control temper, but we love Bob. You know that, That's not what's gonna happen. Listen, what happens when we go to the funeral of a loved one? We celebrate things like kindness, generosity, joy, goodness, self-sacrifice, how the person blessed and cared for others and that they were a good friend. All of these are choices that we make because in Jesus, we're free to make them. Okay, three more points before we wrap up about how to deal with this whole freedom business. First of all, discern your heart before you follow your heart. Discern your heart before you follow your heart. The idea of go with your heart sounds good and it probably would have worked with Adam and Eve before the fall, before they messed up. I think it's God's intention for us to have a healthy enough heart that we can go with our heart. But when you embrace a biblical worldview, it doesn't work. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse nine says this, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? Your heart is not always healthy. I'm not talking about clogged arteries. I'm talking about the spirit of who you are. You know, it can be influenced by things around you. It can be carrying, carrying all kinds of things inside. I could almost call them little heart diseases where you have hurts from your past. You have fears. You have offenses with people that you've never resolved. You have greed. You have lust. The Bible says, who can understand it? No wonder it's complicated. It's complicated. And we only find out what's in a person's heart by the choices that they make in life, how they respond under pressure, how they respond when they don't get their way. Proverbs 4.23 doesn't say follow your heart, says quite the opposite. Watch over your heart with all diligence. In other words, your heart is to serve you, but you better watch over it. It's like the image of a gardener, and they've sown some good things that they want to grow, you know, inside that garden. you know, they want to grow some doritos and they want to grow <laughs> some salt, whatever it may be. But they're watching over the garden. What for? weeds? weeds, so they can pull them out, so they don't leave them in there, so they don't mess up the good stuff that they want. That's the image that, that Proverbs is talking about. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Your heart is so readily influenced by the circumstances of life that you have to watch over it. I mean, you can be tired and exhausted, and what's going on inside of you? Oh, I just need to quit. I just need to quit. No, you don't need to quit. You need to rest. And after you get a rest, your whole attitude will change. Or you can be discouraged. and They just think, I just need to go in a different direction. No, you just need to get encouraged. Yeah. You can be totally disinterested in something and two or three of your friends say, hey, we're going, we're going, do you want to come? And what happens? Your heart changes. Yeah. Why? Because of who's going with you? Yeah. Listen, the thing about your heart is this. The heart can develop a passion for things that your head knows would be terrible choices for you. But you know, I found the opposite's also true is that your head can click, click onto some great choices and you need to get your heart into it. But your head will do this, things that your heart won't do. It'll consider options. It'll count the costs. It'll think about how much time and effort it's gonna take. It'll consider the obstacles. It'll think about the long range. Where are we going in the future? Man, your heart doesn't do that. Your heart always focuses on immediate gratification. How do I feel right now? What do I want right now? Your head won't. Your head will slow down. Let's think about where we're gonna be three years from now. Things that your heart won't do, your head will do for you. Now, where do we mess up with this? You know what? One of the most common areas we mess up with it in is relationships, relationships. People get attached in their heart when they haven't thought it through with their head. And they, they think a relationship is just a heart decision and can fail to use their head you know, in, in thinking this thing through. And that can be a dating relationship, but I think it could also be a relationship to other things, a relationship even to a job for that matter. And and not really thinking through the trajectory, like are we on the same page? Are we going in the same direction? And yet we've already given our heart away. And here's what happens. If you give your heart away without using your head, you will now use your head to justify your heart. So instead of getting into wisdom and thinking things through, you're just into justification because you've already put your heart there. And so you follow your heart and afterwards find out you should have consulted your head. Second point, focus on choosing to do good over feeling good. Focus on choosing to do good over feeling good. It's, we have a song lyric that goes something like this, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Well, Try saying that to a police officer when you've been pulled over for speeding. (laughs) Don't sing it to him either, by the way. Just, again, it's not a Bible verse, okay? All right, if it feels right, that's your flesh because listen, that's how the flesh lies to you. It makes wrong feel right. That's what it does. Following our feelings is how we can be misled in life. There's a story in Genesis about two brothers, Cain and Abel, and they were the sons of Adam and Eve. Abel makes a sacrifice to God, you know, to honor God, and his was accepted by God. Cain's was not. I'm not going to get into the details of the story. But after the sacrifice, Cain is ticked. He's angry. He's upset. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. This is God speaking to Cain. If you do what is right, will will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain chose to do something that would feel good over doing good and he murders his brother. He acts out in his rage and his anger. God had asked him to choose to do what is right. We always have the choice to do what is right. The lie of the flesh is that, oh, our feelings must be right. We should just go ahead and follow them. What I feel is what I should do. In fact, that is the justification after we mess up, isn't it? We mess up. Somebody says, why did you do that? You say, I don't know. It just felt right. Right. Our feelings are to be discerned, to be managed, to be addressed, to be controlled, even ministered to, because that's exactly what God was doing to Cain. He's trying to help him process his anger. Listen, feel good is a focus on the flesh. It's always about self-gratification, not what's best for others. And it's always immediate. I need to immediately feel good. This is what I'm gonna do. There are all kinds of things that we feel good in the moment about that are terrible life choices. Do good is a focus on holiness. And the motivation behind it is this. I just want to please the Lord with my life. Of all the things that I want, I want to please the Lord. Holiness, by the way, is the pathway to fulfillment in life. You see, when you do good, you're going to feel good. And you can be making sacrifices. You can be putting others ahead of yourself. You can be saying no to temptation. You can be doing, by the way, all of that, not feeling like doing any of it, but afterwards, words, It always feels good to know that you did the right thing. If Cain would have chosen to follow the Lord and to do good, feelings would have followed him. God said, will you not be accepted? Acceptance is a good feeling, but he cut himself off from a good thing that God had for him by choosing to do what he felt over doing what was right. Here's the last point, number three. Better to control yourself than to be true to yourself. Better to control yourself than to be true to yourself. You know, it was Freud who pushed this whole idea of be true to yourself, and it was Freud who said that the repression of desires is the basis for all neurosis. To translate that, the reason you're unhappy is because other people are telling you not to do stuff. Well, if that were true, every child under the age of six should be absolutely miserable because parents tell their kids not to do stuff all the time. Shakespeare has a quote in his play Hamlet. And the quote goes like this, this above all, to thine own self be true. Wow, once again, sounds like a Bible verse. Sounds like a proverb. Sounds so poetic. But who in the play Hamlet actually makes that statement? Well, it's a character by the name of Polonius, who is the fool. That's his title. The message of Freud and the fool is this. Put yourself first. It's the driving message of the flesh. But as we talked about earlier, it's rooted in the fall of man and the original sin and being tempted by Satan. Our immediate desires are not our deepest desires. The flesh will always appeal to immediate, short-term self-gratification with strong desire, but that strong desire is not your deepest desire. The call of God on our life is to follow Jesus and to realize the fulfillment of our deepest desires in Him, to be able to go through life and to be satisfied, to be able to go through life and to not end it with regret, to be able to do life and to be able to be I have a sense of fulfillment, a sense of I did what God put me on this earth to do. I fulfilled God's purposes in my life. I lived in a way that honored God, that one day I'll cross that line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How are you gonna get there? By choosing, as the Bible says, the narrow road, which is the path to life, not the wide one with no rules where you just do whatever you want. You that that's the one to destruction. I'm gonna go on a narrow road. By taking up your cross And following him, as the scripture says, by denying yourself, by mastering sin, by losing your life in order to find life. These are the scriptural bases of saying, I'm not going to let the flesh lead my life. I'm going to follow the spirit of God and live in godliness and live in the reward of that. It's the choice to not follow shallow, immediate self-gratifications of the flesh, but to follow Jesus, his plan for your life, his path for your life, that is the path of life leading to eternal life. And I wanna end by saying this, the biggest lie that we tell ourselves is when we claim that we're being led by the Holy Spirit but we're actually being motivated by our flesh. We say, oh man, I feel like God wants me to do this. I feel like God wants me to have this. I feel like God wants me to go here, go there, all the rest of it. But it's rooted in fear, or it's rooted in anger, or it's rooted in a hurt from the past, or, or greed, or, or lust. It's rooted in things in the flesh. But, but in our Christian culture, it's so easy to pick up the lingo, and now we attach spiritual lingo to fleshly decisions it doesn't make them, it doesn't make them right. It doesn't make them right. And in the end, what reveals the difference between the two will be the fruit of our actions. Be the fruit of our actions. It's like, I made this decision. I said it was God, but where has it led me? Let's stand as we take time to pray. I just want us to stand before the Lord for a moment and Holy Spirit might have already shown you some things where it's like that, that's the flesh that, that, that's what's going on here that's, that's what's happening I believe there might be some people here today that as we talk about the flesh and we talk about it making you a slave that right now you're a slave to something something going on in your world that you used to think was your decision. Now it's your impulse. You used to think, I can handle this, but now it's handling you. And I I just feel led to to pray specifically for, for those who are here in that situation. I'm not gonna embarrass you by asking you to come to the front or wave your hand at me or any of those things. I'm just gonna ask you to open up your heart to God and acknowledge to him that you need Jesus to set you free. Oh, pastors, I'm already a Christian. Can a a Christian have an addiction? A Christian can have anything they want, including that. So if it's there, we go to God and surrender it and invite Jesus to come in, the liberator of our soul. And then I'm I'm gonna talk to you a little bit more about that afterwards, but I feel to pray right now. We can just bow our heads. Father, I, I pray for people whose flesh has crossed the line into slavery, whose decision to to take freedoms and liberalities that Lord are not are not holy has now turned into impulse. Holy Spirit, We acknowledge that to you. Just tell God, God, this is what's been going on. This is what's been happening. Now, God, I I just invite your Holy Spirit to touch their heart, to touch their life, to touch their soul, and to set them free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus, you are our liberator. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, that you bring freedom and complete liberty in their life from this. And Lord, may they never succumb to the lie that says they can just go one more time, try one more time, or handle it. But instead, Lord, may we live in truth and live in freedom and instead do what the scriptures would say, do all things to avoid temptation, not to walk in it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for changed lives right now. With our heads bowed, I want to pray one more prayer because I believe there's people here that, you know, you might you might say to yourself, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Bible, I believe in God and all that. And that's great, that's a great starting place. But Christianity is the decision to become a Christ follower, not just a Jesus believer. And, and if you if you haven't done that, if you haven't come to that place where you've said, you know what, it's time to start following Jesus, not just living for me and being satisfied with a belief system, because that's not Christianity, by the way. In fact, the Bible says that the devil believes in Jesus. And uh, we know he has no eternity, no place in eternity. And so to become a Christ follower is a decision that says, I'm going to, I'm going to embrace Christ into my life as the Lord of my life. That's a biblical expression. In other words, he's the leader. I've now surrendered my heart to him. I want to follow him. I'm going to live for him. I want a life that honors him. I want to get to know him because that's the primary calling that God has for you. And so if you've not made that decision, if you've not prayed that prayer, if you've not embraced Jesus as the Lord of your life and made that surrender, this is a moment where we're going to talk to God and you can do that. I just invite us all, once again, to bow our heads. Um, as we take this moment to pray. How many here would say, Pastor, you know what? That speaks to me. I'm going to be praying with you. I want to confess Jesus as Lord. Can you just give me a wave? That's you. It's like, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. This is what I need to do today. Thank you, guys. See, hands up all over. Let's pray together with those who are praying. Lord Jesus, I believe in you, but I want you in my world. So I ask you to forgive my past, and I invite you in confessing you as the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.